Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Is the new pitch count rule in high school baseball working? Are coaches being able to cope with the new rules? Or are there issues and problems beginning to crop up? How about the pitchers and their parents? How are they coping with this new rule? And are the punishments too severe when a coach or his team loses track of a kid's pitch count. Now, a few weeks ago, I had Steve Callis on the show to talk about these new rules going to affect this season. And as you recall, there were notable questions about who keeps track of the pitch counts, what kind of punishment is doled out if the pitch count rule is violated. And there was significant debate about the number of days of rest for each pitcher, especially in New York State. Now, well, now we're about... More than halfway past the, the, the course of the high school baseball season, and just this past week, I asked Steve to check on how these new rules are working out, not just from around this area, but from all over the country. Remember, pretty much every state in the nation which offers high school baseball has now adopted pitch count rules. And I'm also eager to get feedback from you as to get your impressions as a coach or as a parent or even as a pitcher to see how all this is working out, especially with all the rainouts this spring and the games are beginning now to get backed up where the pitch count situation gets more and more complicated. Now, of course, you know the number. Our toll-free liner is one 337 That's brought to you by Mohegan Sun, Connecticut, one world-class destination, unlimited possibilities. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Rick. Great to be with you, as always. Well, thank you, Steve. Now, you know... We spoke about the situation a few weeks ago, and this is hard to remember any one rule being implemented so quickly, because it all came, to, came about last, uh, really last, last fall, that they were going to go in and decide, well, we're going to implement these pitch count rules. It's, uh, it's on a state-by-state basis. All the states have different rules and regulations. But, you know, if nothing else, this, and I think it's fair to say that if nothing else with these new pitch count rules, it, it has made the pitches, uh, the, the coaches much more aware, and hopefully the parents as well, of the dangers of having young arms being overly taxed uh, during their teenage years. So I think that's, that's sort of the baseline. It's a good rule to have because, as I said, at least it's making the coaches aware that they got to look out for the kids and taking care of their arms. I agree totally, Rick. I think the problem is, and, and you know, we did two shows on this, and you discussed it very early on. Ten years ago, when Little League Baseball did this, they at least had a pilot program. Yes. We were totally uncomfortable with the days of rest that they changed, and eventually after years, five years, uh, I think you and I, to some degree, got Dr. James Andrews to call Steve Keener and say, hey, you got to fix this. It took Little League five years to fix it, but they did. Here, as you pointed out on the last two shows we did, um, there was no pilot program. They just threw everyone
down in the deep water, and as you might guess, a few coaches are drowning. Uh, and most of the things that I've come up with, and there's been at least nine violations in New Jersey, and the other state I saw a number, there have been at least 11 in Illinois. Right. Um, most of them do seem to be, frankly, you know, innocent. I didn't know the rule last year was this. I didn't realize. Um, there seems to be, so far, very little intent, although, again, I wouldn't put that past certain coaches, frankly. So I think you were right in saying they should have instituted a pilot program, maybe done it on an experimental basis. And I would say at least they should have done that for the regular season because now we're coming into the playoffs, and I've seen at least one instance where a team's playoff seating was lowered because of a forfeit, which was, by everyone's account, totally unintentional. Well, let's just, uh, again, uh, you, you, you just uh, touched upon this. With this new pitch count rules going into place, as you mentioned, there have been, if you go on a state-by-state basis, and it's hard to keep track of this, but researchers over the last uh, week or so has revealed that this is happening all over the country. You mentioned New Jersey. There are forfeits in Illinois, North Carolina, Colorado. And in some situations, Steve, I mean, this is really beginning to add up. And it's so unusual and so awkward for the coach because in some situations, the coach has to then basically do a mea culpa and say, you know, I I really sort of lost track. Or I didn't understand the rule, and I'm sorry that we had to forfeit the game. Yeah, I mean, we ha- I mean, a, a forfeit. I mean, that's like that's really a pretty extreme punishment. Well, uh, we- I mean, there was one game in Illinois. The team was up. Uh, the winning team was up thirteen to three. Correct. So there was no need to have changed pitchers or to worry about a pitch count, and and the kid would have to pitch the the starting pitcher would have to pitch the sixth inning, and there was a violation. And next thing you know, they forfeit the game. I mean, it's it's this is really. Very, very difficult. And in some cases, it's not the, the head baseball coach. In one case, I know I read there was the, uh, the pitching coach lost track of the pitches. Or right. the next day, the athletic director had to self-report and tell to the, the local board, you know, my, my coach lost track of the pitch count. I mean, this is really very, very awkward. Well, we also, we also discussed at the time, and it was fascinating to me, because as you know, I went up to that pitch count seminar they had up at New Rochelle High School. Um, when you look at the history of the pitch count rule in New York State, there were two meetings, and after the second meeting, these new pitch count rules were instituted for New York State this year. We'll get to the Knights of Rest debacle in a minute, mm-hmm. but what, what happened in New York State was originally the PSAL, as we talked about in the two articles I have up at AskCoachWolf.com and on your show, we talked about the fact that the PSAL instituted the pitch count in 2011. Mm-hmm. And their initial punishment was not forfeiture of a game, but that a coach could be suspended for a game. And then on the second violation, there could be, didn't have to be, but could be the forfeit of a game. Yep. When New York instituted the rule statewide, as you know, the PSAL government public schools in New York City, um, when New York instituted the rule statewide, uh, they, they said that you um, originally, in their original draft, they were going to adopt the PSAL rule. But for some reason in the final draft, which means that that final meeting in January, they said, no, we're not going to give them kind of a mulligan, if you will, or suspend a coach for a day, uh, a game after one violation. We're going directly to forfeit. And once they did that, coupled with the fact, as you pointed out, there was no pitch count pilot program, uh, this is what's happened in that you have numerous forfeits all over the country. And I'll throw in Idaho, because there was one in Idaho as well, Rick. So this is, as you said, span the country, but they really should have... 
instituted some kind of pilot program to see how this would work out, or at a minimum, made it during the regular season, because this is a draconian, as the lawyers say, <laughs> this is a draconian penalty to make a, a team forfeit, for example, as you pointed out, a 13-3 to win. And I will point out, in New York State, there's a fantastic article at the DemocratAndChronicle.com, uh, that just came out on Friday that not only goes through the pitch count rules in New York, but also goes through the coaches' reactions. And in line with what you say, I'll just give you two coaches' reactions. Because in New York, as we discussed, the nights of rest means you can pitch on Monday, <laughs> and if you throw one to 40 pitches, Rick, you can pitch on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, one to 30 pitches. I apologize. One to 30, one to 30. yes. Right. And... And that goes up to 40 during the playoffs. And I'll just give you quickly what two coaches said. This is in Section 5, which is in upstate New New York. Ryan Grape, who is the varsity coach at North Star Christian Academy, said, quote, there should be a rule, but the rule they have come up with is not a good one. If a guy throws 30 pitches a day, he can throw 180 in a week. You can throw 30 pitches, then the next day throw 30, and do it again the next day, but you can't throw 106 in one, in one day. It's the way the officials implemented the rule, implemented the rules. And Spencer Port coach Larry Frieza was more descriptive, quote, we are building an airplane while flying it, close quote. <laughs> well, this is, and, and I guess, of course, is Steve Callis, and we're talking about the, these new pitch count rules and, and how they're wreaking havoc with coaches everywhere. And now we're getting closer to the end of the regular season, as you said, Steve, and now we're, there are new rules for the playoffs. It's like, come on, guys. Let's, we obviously, we knew going in this was going to be something of an experiment this year. But what's the rush? Why did we make this sort of like, as you said, sort of like, okay, let's test the, the water first and figure out what the problems are going to be. But to use, use your turn as an attorney, draconian measures of going to an immediate forfeit, yeah, I understand we're trying to get the point across to the coaches, don't, don't abuse your pitchers. But at this juncture, it just seems to be, I mean, come on, this is getting nuts. And, and as, you, as we pointed out, there are forfeits all over the place, and I guarantee you there will be more forfeits as we go along the rest of the season. Yeah, again, I think it's just too quickly, uh, as you've stated, as we talked months ago, you know, in Congress, supposedly, they hire people to look at new bills to see what's going, what the unintended consequences could be of the mm-hmm. new bill before they put it in. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean it doesn't get passed and you have the problems anyway. But here, too, they should have put three or four baseball guys in a room and said, what could happen? What could be the problem? Should we jump into this immediately? And again, I've been unable to find out, despite researching it, how they, how in New York they went from originally adopting the PSAL rule, uh, coach gets suspended for a game on the first violation, forfeit is an option on the second violation, how they went from that, which was the rule after the initial draft, to the final rule, which is essentially, Rick, zero tolerance. Doesn't matter if you knew or didn't know. Doesn't matter if it was unintentional or not. And again, this has already uh, affected playoff seating in some states. I did read one. There was a a tournament where a team lost a championship uh, in a tournament. But I think it's going to be even worse if this happens, obviously, in a playoff game. All right. Let me me take a a timeout. We're talking, of course, with Steve Callis. Uh, When we return from Dave Uram's update, I want to obviously get right into the calls. Radio 
We're discussing this morning the impact of enforced pitch counts in high school baseball this spring. And uh, Steve Callis, my guest, is telling us that numerous high school baseball games all over the country have been featuring forfeits because uh, the pitch count has been violated. Even by just one or two pitches, it still counts as a violation. And the game, the penalty, is a forfeit. And, uh, Steve, I have some questions for you, but let's, let's go back. Let's go to our callers. Let's uh, start with uh, Rich out in uh, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Jim, uh, Rich, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rich. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah. I'm a sports writer for, uh, for high school in northeastern Pennsylvania, and we have a new pitch rule, too, this year that mm-hmm. allows limits a kid to 100 pitches in a seven-inning game. Now, here's what's happening. If you break down the math on that, that's 15 pitches an inning, Fewer than five pitches a batter. And most coaches are saying, even in the major leagues, you can't get pitchers to have that much control. So a lot of these kids never finish games, complete games. In fact, one coach told me that he had to go out. Uh, his kid was throwing a two-hit shutout. And he had it was a bit wild, but he had to go out and take him out because he was at the pitch count limit. Mm-hmm. His next kid came in and gave up four runs, and when they lost the game, and you know, he basically said that was because he had to, he had to take the kid out. Right. The other thing is, uh, uh, some of the, some of the coaches are using the pitch count as a strategy. You know, you, know, you mercy, you want a mercy rule team now. One coach told me because you need to save your arms mm-hmm. so instead of having compassion for a weaker opponent. You're driving to get 15 runs in three innings because you have to play four games a week. You have kids that uh, that are you know, have to pitch. And he said, I don't. Ha- I have to have kids who are not pitchers become pitchers because I don't have enough arms. Rich, this is exactly the kind of uh, the, the uh, repercussions that we're, we're talking about. And as Steve had said earlier, you know, you would have thought that they would have had a bunch of baseball guys sit around a room and figure out, okay, what are the possibilities that could happen with these kind of pitch counts? Rich, I have a question. Maybe you know this. I do not know. If, if a high school baseball game is forfeit uh, because of a pitch count violation— do the rest of the kids on the team, do their stats count? For other words, if it, let's say the shortstop or the team that got forfeited, suppose he had a great game with four for four with two home runs and five RBIs. Do those stats get washed away with a forfeit? I believe they are. I believe they're washed away. I believe forfeit cancels everything out. That's uh, my sense as well. So, I mean, this is, to use a term that Steve used, <laughs> it's draconian. This is, and as you said, the, the, the coaches are now saying, well, we have all these games backed up because of the weather. Uh, we better try to go out and get a mercy uh, uh, rule right away, a mercy win. Uh, and a poor kid is pitching a two-hitter and loses the game because he's run out of pitches. This is, this is pretty devastating. I'll give you one more example. There was a situation where uh, a pitcher, a coach was telling his kids to take pitches rather than swing yeah. because the pitcher, yeah. the pitcher was well, a bit wild, but they couldn't hit him. Yep. So they said, we're going to get this guy off the mound. He's at 93 pitches. Everybody take pitches till we get to 100, and then we'll see what we can do against the relief. So it's becoming not just a rule, but it's a strategy, and I, I think it's unsportsmanlike in many ways. Too. Well, it's not only uh, whether it's unsportsmanlike or it's gamemanship. The fact is it's become a factor in how baseball games at the high school level are now being decided. Hey, Rich, thanks for checking in today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. See, this is what we're talking about. I mean, this, this is a fellow out in Pennsylvania, sports writer, saying it's really having tremendous impact on how these games are being played out. Well, again, we've talked about this in diff- from different angles, Rick, but you knew it was going to be a strategy. Frankly, on the other side of it, I thought of it as a high school and college pitcher myself, as you know, uh, the great pitches at 0-2 and 1-2 that you could throw – 
I'm telling my high school pitcher not to throw him. I'm saying go right after the guy, 0-2-1-2, because you don't have time to dance around the plate and try to no. get him to swing at something in the dirt, because that's going to affect your pitch count. So on the one hand, yes, I agree, and I agree with everything Rich said. On the other hand, though, what does that mean? So uh, 100... Uh, so you're, 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 the, the one example he gave, uh, a guy couldn't pitch 100, in, uh, 100 pitches in seven innings, mm-hmm. which he's right. I mean, you would have to be so good with such great control to do that. And as you know, pitch to contact, not pitch to strikeouts. But the flip side of that would be, okay, but we might let a guy throw 120 pitches. I have an example from, from an out-of-state. I don't know if it was the Idaho case or somewhere else, where a kid threw 139 pitches in a, in, in a game, and the coach said, oh, I didn't know there was 110 pitches limit. So on the one hand, what Rich says is true. On the other hand, you don't want a kid throwing 139 pitches in a high school game. So there is a balancing there. There will be some uh, uh, give and take. There should be some review. I don't know if we're going to talk about Carteret and Perth Amboy, but that's an excellent case right on the fringes of everything we've been talking about. Well, let's talk about that because obviously that is a, a pretty good classic case study. You know, and I don't know if it's been resolved yet, uh, but Carteret and, and Perth Amboy, uh, this is a situation where it was a, a important game for both schools, and uh, it got to, I guess, the sixth inning, and, and the, the Perth Amboy pitcher, uh, he had thrown 70 pitches uh, two days before, and now he's, according to the Carteret pitch, uh, coach, he had thrown 70 in that game, and all of a sudden he's at 140, which is the limit in New Jersey, but there was a, a, apparently a dispute as to how many pitches this kid had actually had thrown, and, and uh, you know the Carteret coach protested the game, and now it's it's just an awful mess. It's not being, I guess, reviewed uh, by the, the state athletic association. Yeah, and 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 the backstory on that, to me anyway, is um, you're talking about four illegal pitches. So four. the kid threw 70 on Thursday. He threw 74 on Sunday. One of the secondary rules they have in New Jersey is you can't exceed 140 in five days. Right. So if you believe those numbers, this kid threw 144. And, of course, this is something you pointed out weeks, if not months ago, that the home team scorebook is eventually going to rule. And, of course, Carteret was the home team. I I had to go look it up because they played at TD Bank Ballpark in Bridgewater. But according to the box score, which I saw, Carteret was the home team. So if push comes to shove, it's going to be whatever's in Carteret's book. Now, the, the second layer of the onion, if you will, is according to the Carteret coach who says, you know, oh, I, you know, I'm not trying to be a stickler. I just want people to stick by the rules. But he also admits in the article, which is at mycentraljersey.com, the coach admits, he says, Receiving a forfeit win via a rules violation could be the difference between his team earning as high as an 11th seed in the playoffs or not qualifying. So now you have a coach who's saying, hey, I'm just trying to make sure everybody plays by the rules. But if I get the forfeit, I'm in the playoffs. And if I don't get the forfeit, I may not be in the playoffs. So that's a little shaky as well to me. I mean, to me, a lot of this could have been prevented if, if, uh, as as a kid... And I think the idea, of course, is that for each coach and the umpire working the game uh, to make sure at the end of every inning to have a real sit down of a quick tally of how many pitchers, how many pitches is this kid thrown, how many is this kid thrown, and as a kid, let's say, is getting close to his limit, it's it's probably incumbent upon the umpire, I guess, to say, by the way, he's at uh, seventy pitches now, he can finish his batter, but then he's done. So at least there's some sort of warning in place because if that had happened. 
then then the, the the coach would have said, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's no question. He's my last batter." You know. I'm yeah, not- I think there had been some explicit dis- discussions, if not actual rules, that said the umpire is not really going to be involved in these kinds of things. But which, that, but- on the, again, on the one hand, Rick, you don't want to dump this on the umpire, but on the other hand, now you have problems like this, which could be a playoff berth or not over four uh, pitches. And again, I'll go back to the PSAL rule. This this example, which has not been decided as far as I could tell as of today, this example is the one where you would say the PSAL rule, well, coach, you know, we're going to suspend you for a game, right. but we're going to let it stand because it's a four-pitch violation. So, uh, again, there had to be some common sense. There had to be, this didn't have to be zero tolerance. I go back to New York State, which in its first draft adopted the PSAL rule. I don't have the research for New Jersey, but that's the kind of thing that can pop up. And again, when you throw in, I'm not saying this coach did it intentionally or not, but when you throw in the fact that he admits, if we get the forfeit win, we might, we yeah, probably make I, the playoffs, and if we don't, we don't, well, that's a problem. That's, uh, it's unbelievable. Let's go over to, uh, to Nutley, and Justin is standing by. Justin, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Good, Justin. Uh, I just want to go off your last point. In terms of the umpires, they want nothing to do with it. I'm <laughs> sure they don't. I'm <laughs> sure they want right nothing told. to do with this, yes. You know. Yeah, I've been right told we want nothing to do with it, so I and the other coach have to confer every half inning. And based on your last thing, we had a starter go into the six last week, and I had him at 95. Yeah. I made sure I ran over there and conferred with the other coach just, just to make sure. But beyond that, this was supposed to be about the health of the kids. Right. Mainly, primarily. Right. So if I can throw 50 pitches in two days, for example, if I have 31 to 50, it's one-day rest. But I could throw – 25 pitches today, yep. 25 pitches tomorrow, that gives me 50. Right. I'm not allowed to throw three days in a row. Right. But if, if I get that one-day rest, I'm at 50 pitches. Now I can throw another 70 another day. To me, as a former pitcher high school and college, that's, almost, that's worse for your arm than you know, throwing that many pitches on consecutive days, taking one day off, then throwing another 70. That's counterproductive, in my opinion. You get no time to rest. You get no time to heal up. You're in no sort of routine. So to me, the idea that I could throw 25 today, 25 tomorrow, take a day off, throw another 70 on Thursday, that doesn't help anybody's arm in any way, shape, or form. That, I mean, that, that's just my personal opinion. Um, but in terms of the whole thing, I really haven't ran into an issue. I mean, most coaches were on the same page. Some coaches don't even want to do it, period. Um, but we have had a case in my own conference where someone did call another coach on the, on the carpet, and they ended up having to forfeit. So uh, it is the home book. Most coaches are under the honor system. They're like, listen, this is what number we, we match up with. But to, to liken to your last point, I went out there in the sixth inning and made sure, do you have 92 pitches? Because that's what I have. If not, I need to know right now. And Justin, but, but Justin, let me ask you this, Justin. What would have yeah. happened? Were you the home team that day or not? No, I was the actual, I was the visiting team, right. so, so I wanted to make sure over, I knew what his book had. you went over to the guy and he said, no, I don't have 92, I got 96 or whatever, then what would have happened? He's the home book. He's in charge. Right. That's part of the right. problem as well. Of course, and we conferred every half inning, but like you said, the, the umpires outright said, we want nothing to do with this, so really there's no objectionable third party um but and then the last thing is i'm a pitcher state sectional final i'm six innings in i'm mowing the other team down just like you said i got to come out of the game that would that would absolutely crush me as a high school senior if we end up losing a sectional final or state final because i got to come out in the six what if i have 12 strikeouts you know and i'm throwing really really well but i have 110 pitches yeah it's just 
So Justin, it's very convoluted is... in terms of what the goals are, but I, uh, my <laughs> ultimate point is that I think it is almost more hurtful to a kid's arm to throw back-to-back days, take a day off, then have another 70 on Thursday. I think that's so much worse for a kid's arm rather than having, you know, the old-school way where you had, you had 10 innings in a week and you could, you know, you could go five today, five on Friday, and that's it. You know, it, it, it seems Justin, like it's almost going to be more uh, hurtful. Let me jump in here, and I, I, I really just uh, applaud you for calling in this morning and tell us, you know, what you're seeing from the front line trenches, because that's exactly the issues we're talking about. Justin, thank you so much. Uh, Steve, I I, got to take a break, but when we return, obviously we'll continue our conversation, but as Justin pointed out, the the way this is beginning to filter down and the gamemanship and figuring out how to play all these angles, it really is getting unbelievably disruptive. That's not the intent of the rule. forget that 9 o'clock this morning, Ed Randall will be by, of course, and he'll be talking baseball. And as always, I ask you to check out my website at askcoachwolf.com. We're talking this morning with Steve Callis about the impact of pitch counts on high school baseball this spring and the really the growing number of forfeits that are being uh, issued and, and the growing confusion and the gamemanship. Uh, Steve, let's get right back to our callers. Let's go to our friend Ed over Elizabeth. Ed, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rich. How you doing? Good, Ed. Good, Steve. Listen, I want to bring up three points here, so if I'm able to get the time, I appreciate it. Sure. Okay. There was a situation in a Hudson County game this year, two of the better teams in the county, where one team has two coaches keep the pitch counter, and they also have a thing called the game change, which keeps accurate counts. Mm-hmm. They had a pitcher reach 110, the opposing pitcher. The other opposing team, which was the home book, had him at 95. So there was a 15 pitch <laughs> difference. So what they did was the umpires... To, sit, to keep to keep everything under control, they split it in half at one oh two. Oh, so again, again, and and the one the supposedly one team says we don't keep pitch counts. So again, I don't know if it's uh, being rebellious or whatever. The second point I like to bring up with this pitch count rule, and it pertains to the coaches. Let's say they, they bring in a pitcher who's technically ineligible for whatever reason, the pitch count rule or whatever. Once he's announced to the game, if the opposing coach says, hey, this kid's an eligible pitcher, yep. he throws one warm-up, the pitcher is ejected from the game, does not have to sit another two games. However, the coach is also ejected. He's got to, he's got to sit two games because it's an unsportsmanlike act. Uh-huh. Because that. Now, here's another part to that rule, because this happened to my brother, who was a high school umpire like myself. Yeah. If, let's say, the coach deems that he's ineligible, the, the, the one coach for the opposing team. If the opposing coach said, no, that's a mistake, he's not ineligible, then what this pitcher has to do is protest. He has to call the NGSI to, to verify the fact that makes him ineligible for them to decide if that was an ineligible pitcher. So this is tells you how crazy it's getting with this pitch count rule. Now, I umpire myself. What I do if I'm the plate umpire, I always ask the coaches, who are your ineligible pitchers? And I start them. The reason being is, if this guy comes in, I'm not going to announce until I say until I'll say to the coach, right, "Coach, you got to list as ineligible." <laughs> if he goes in the game, okay, now he's going to be ejected. So I, I try to save face on that. Here's the other thing with this pitch count rule, and I don't want to blame anyone, but if, if coaches aren't sure with this rule, they need to call the NJSIA, speak to the, the director who oversees the baseball, Larry White. You have an athletic director that they're all making six figures out. How hard is it to make a phone call where maybe might be a 10-minute conversation to decide 
if this, if, if my pitcher can do this today. Yeah, but it, you it's can't, not, you it's can't, so great. I'm sorry, Rick. They can't make the phone call during the middle of the game. No, 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 no. If you're a coach, you have an idea generally thinking what pitches I might use today. Yep. Okay, you're, you're planning your lineup or whatever. Right. I'm saying you're doing a school day. Hey, I'm thinking of doing this in my game. Could you call up the NGSA and see if I'm able to do this? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I got it. Okay, okay. I know where you're coming from, but then again, see, these coaches have to think and understand. We had a situation this year, and I know you're going to laugh at this. What coaches before the game had to have the umpire chief of the state of New Jersey on their game. What happened was they weren't sure to rule. The umpire chief called the director of the NGSA up, and they, and they got an answer on it before anything was done and all that stuff. So my point is this. If you're, if you're a prominent coach or a good coach, you should have an idea during the day how you're going to use your pitch. And if something is a gray area, call the NGSA before you do it, or else this is why you're having all these problems with the pitch count rule. Jeez, Ed, I, well, first of all, as always, thank you for your, your input. I mean, this is exactly just shows uh, the depth of these issues. Ed, thanks again. We'll talk soon. Have a great day. It's a good topic to talk about. Thanks, Ed. Steve, obviously we can spend hours uh, trying to figure this out and and to figure out what the next move is going to be. And look, we all agree, it's the first thing I said this morning, the pitch count rule was put into place to protect young arms. And if nothing else, it's raised that awareness, but maybe it's been too strong a rule. The forfeit rule is awfully, awfully tough. Uh, That's a pretty bitter pill to swallow, and as we're seeing from all these callers, like from Ed and all the rest, from Justin, you know, people are now, the coaches are trying to figure this out to best benefit their own team. That's not the intent of the rule. Well, I think part of the rule should be, if you're going to institute it the way it was instituted on very short notice, if you're not going to have a, you know, pilot program, I think I would go even further than that. He makes some great points from the front lines, actually, as you say, Rick. Yeah. But I think I think prior to a high school game, and I do not think this would be difficult, I think the um, coaches should exchange faxes, and I mean during the day, I don't mean like right when the game starts, and they should put down who is ineligible. Here are my pitchers that are ineligible. In New Jersey, which has a pretty good system in terms of they have to report pitch counts to NJ.com, and every coach can go to NJ.com and say, well, this guy can't pitch today. So I think they should actually exchange lists of who is ineligible, and then I think there would be no problem with ineligible pitchers during a game other than the eligible pitchers who are pitching and their specific pitch count, which, as you know, is still governed by the the home team, which, as we talked about months ago, could lead to issues. And, of course, uh, it's leading to issues. And I think Carteret's going to win that protest because they were the home team, Rick, and they've yeah. got the book that says 74. And the other guy, the visitor, has the book that says 70. That's why I asked Justin, was he the visitor or the home team? Home team rules, and that could lead to problems as well. And it's, I think it has led to problems as well. It is truly, a, a uh, as I said, a, a rule with wonderful intentions, but it's just leading to a real pandemic doors box of issues. Steve, as always, my thanks for chasing this down for us. It's obviously fascinating. And again, this is happening all over the country, not just obviously in New York and Jersey and Connecticut, Pennsylvania, but everywhere. Hey, Steve, thanks. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Rick. Looking forward to it. Thanks. That is Steve Callis, of course. All right, let me take a quick pause. I'll be back. Stay with me. Breakfast Seekers, have we got an introduction for you. Meet the new Chicken McGriddles from McDonald's. Chicken McGriddles, meet Breakfast Seekers. This tasty, crispy chicken sleeping soundly between two sweet griddle cakes. Hey, New York City. Geico brings you advice from your skeleton. Hey, hey, I'm your skeleton. Now, this could sound freaky, but we're attached at the hip (laughs) and everywhere else. 
Anyways, I've noticed that you hold yourself a little higher when you save money. So, as your inner skeleton, I think you should switch to GEICO. Here's why. Reason one. GEICO has been around for over 75 years and has a 97% customer satisfaction rating. No bones about it. Reason two. The GEICO Insurance Agency can help you insure your home, apartment, or condo. And GEICO offers motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. You know, we'd both look fed to the bone on a motorcycle, huh? <laughs> Too much? Okay, carrying on. Reason three. GEICO is the largest auto insurer in the state. So it's the local thing to do. Reason four, Geico has a local agent in your area who could help you find savings like military or federal discounts. Reason five, sticks and stones may break my bones. <laughs> Just saying. So, New York City, take it from the ones who know you best and contact Geico online, over the phone, or at your local office. This tasty, crispy chicken sleeping soundly between two sweet griddle cakes has been running through your dreams, but now, now it can run through your soul. The taste that Harlem made famous is now at the place that made breakfast famous. Get the new Chicken McGriddles from McDonald's for just $2. I think you're going to like each other. And don't forget about a $1 any-size hot-brewed coffee. Price and participation may vary. This is the sound of a large Coke at McDonald's. And that is the sound of our straw going into the Coke. And now that any size Coke is only a dollar all summer long, this is the sound of someone taking a long sip. And if you think that sounds good, how about any small McDonald's smoothie, frappe, or shake for $2? Now top that. Ooh, whip topping. Only at McDonald's. A la carte only. Limited time offer at participating McDonald's. Cannot be combined with any other offer or any combo meal. Hey, New York City. Geico brings you advice from your skeleton. Hey, hey, I'm your skeleton. Now, this could sound freaky, but we're attached at the hip <laughs> and everywhere else. Anyways, I've noticed that you hold yourself a little higher when you save money. So, as your inner skeleton, I think you should switch to Geico. Here's why. Reason one. Geico has been around for over 75 years and has a 97% customer satisfaction rating. No bones about it. Reason two. The Geico Insurance Agency can help you insure your home, apartment, or condo. And Geico offers motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. You know, we'd both look fed to the bone on a motorcycle, huh? <laughs> Too much? Okay, carrying on. Reason three. Geico is the largest auto insurer in the state. So it's the local thing to do. Reason four. Geico has a local agent in your area who could help you find savings like military or federal discounts. Reason five. Sticks and stones may break my bones. <laughs> Just saying. So, New York City, take it from the ones who know you best and contact Geico online, over the phone, or at your local office. Let me uh, try and squeeze in one more call. Wally in the Bronx has been waiting very patiently. Wally, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, Rick. How are you this morning? Good, Wally. How are you? Good, good. Um, I'm actually the uh, chairman of baseball for the Catholic High School League in New York City. Terrific. So so I'm pretty well-versed in what the heck's going on. We, We obviously frown on forfeits at all costs. So what we've done is... We've create, we have a database. Everybody has to submit their pitch counts by 9 o'clock the day following the game. So when you walk on the field yep. and everybody has access to each other's pitch counts, you walk on the field, you need to list on your lineup card who is not eligible to pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, so we haven't run into any problems there. Uh, if the pitcher happens to exceed the 105, we hold both pitchers, both coaches responsible. Now how do you um, do that? Obvi- how do you do that, Wally? 
Well, well, basically, if the, if the kid is at 104, yeah. um, and then he happens to exceed, you know, if he gets to 106 and he starts another batter, yeah. and the opposing coach doesn't say anything, uh-huh. there is no penalty for the coach whose pitcher exceeded it on the field. We don't declare a forfeit. Um, if it does happen, we ask that it be reported to the league office. For the first offense, the coach gets a slap on the wrist. Um, if it happens a second time, third time, then we start talking about suspension. But the bottom line, the only time there could possibly be a forfeit is if you use a pitcher in a game that was ineligible before the game started. So, well, let me just ask you. So you've so far this year in the Catholic High School League, uh, you've had no forfeits? Correct. And, I, and quite honestly... The the only I, I don't think we ever will as long as as long as the coaches input their pitch counts into the database correctly. Yeah. Everybody on the field knows before the game starts. You know, Smith, Jones, and Rivera aren't eligible for me. Um, you know, Harrison and whoever are not eligible for you. So those five guys can't pitch. But then that's fine. That's a good idea. Uh, but then, as you said, during the course of the game, if the opposing coach doesn't say anything when the other team's pitcher exceeds the the pitch count, then it's on him for the. It's up to him to say something. It's a. It's up to the opposing coach to to say something. Like your guy, your guy is at one hundred and six. He can't throw to another batter. If he <clears throat> if if he does throw to another batter, there's no penalty on the field for that. If a coach if that if a coach does that more than once, he would be suspended. I got it. Hey, Wally, interesting stuff. I'm glad I'm glad you uh, hung on the phone this morning to tell us that this interesting concept. I appreciate it. Good, good. Yeah, it's working out pretty well for us. And you know, there are some kinks like anything else, but um, we're, we're getting through it. Great. Thank you, Wally. Appreciate the call. Take care. Obviously, this is this is interesting stuff. It's getting more and more complicated. The gamemanship. Coaches telling batters to take pitches so that the uh, the opposing pitcher exceeds his pitch limit, and on and on it goes. All right, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks this morning to Anthony Gallo. Please stick around for Ed Randall. He is up next. I'll see you next week right here on the Sports Edge. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.